this might have been the return of the messiah we have all been waiting for, but just like everyone else in 1998, we simply weren't looking in the right spot. The right spot might have been in Athens, Georgia, where lead singer Jeff Mangum of Neutral Milk Hotel perfected his craft. Though this record was recorded in Denver, Colorado at the Pet Sound Studio, it was developed, honed, and perfected in and out of the 40-watt club that Mangum and the rest of his band did their bidding. There is no wasted space on this album. Perhaps that is why the wasted find comfort in it. The self-titled track that sits there waiting patiently for the parade of carrot flowers to end takes center stage with a bone-chilling, what a beautiful face we have found in this place, before boldly questioning who we are, and better yet, what we are, with a profound, how strange it is to be anything at all. Lo-fi and brooding, this moody album is a snapshot into teenage captivation. It is not James Baldwin or Karl Marx that Magnum fixates on, but rather Anne Frank, whose diary sent Magnum into a tearful spiral for three straight days when he first read it. Eleven songs later, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea came to be what we know it as, an album of longing, alienation, and sorrow. Or, for the layman, one of the greatest records ever recorded. And we are back with Art School Albums Episode 2. And we are here with Griffin Mang to discuss Neutral Milk Hotels in the Aeroplane Over the Sea, a record released in 1998. Griffin, first of all, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing well myself. You're very soft-spoken this evening. I can get loud. No, you're good. Okay. I, I like it when, you, when you're when you toned down like that. <laughs> so, I want to seem too excited. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm only giving you the opportunity of a lifetime here. Why would you be excited about that? So we're here today to discuss Neutral Milk Hotels in the Aeroplane Over the Sea. I think an obvious pick for this podcast, if we're discussing art school albums, albums that have maybe a certain imagery or legacy or allure to young people, um, and people that like maybe a little bit more mysterious music, I think this is a first-round pick. This is a lottery pick in basketball. This is a home run if there ever was one. When was the first time you heard of Neutral Milk Hotel? Um, I was. I have a really distinct memory. So I was at like choir camp in like sophomore year of high school. Okay. And I just had an acoustic guitar. And I was just kind of strumming around. Yeah. And I was playing a four-four version of um in the airplane over the sea accidentally just do the same chord progression um and my friend jake keelman was like hey man um have you ever heard that song in the airplane over the sea and i'm like no but it sounds sick so he like pulled it up on his phone and i was like oh this is like this is just something else so that's why i first heard him i was hooked ever since well i think that's even right there just you saying you know in the airplane over the sea sounds sick i think it's a strange album that is so immediately recognizable to those that are aware of its its existence because there's no really i would say normal title on this album it's you know it's king of carrot flowers it's in the aeroplane over the sea two-headed boy there's a song called holla 1945 communist daughter like it's it's a very strange album that i think once it enters your lexicon it's very difficult for it to leave because it kind of makes an impression and hopefully positive, but no matter what, it makes an, impre- an impression immediately based on the artwork, the song titles, and of course the sound, which we'll get into. I know for me, the first time I heard Neutral Milk Hotel, 
I was in the thick of my folk punk phase. So we're talking junior year of high school. I don't have a ton of friends. I don't have much going on necessarily, but I'm into folk punk and I'm into this band, AJJ, formerly Andrew Jackson Jihad. Snap. Yeah, that's a, we'll snap for them. And they did a cover of Two Headed Boy that sounded like it could have been an AJJ song. I think if you know the band, you know it's not far off. And obviously, Neutral Milk Hotel, as I later learned, were influences on the band. It makes sense. And it just it captivated me because the lyrics uh i i hate using like like the one thing i hate is like the silence is deafening like i hate that sentence it's bad mm. writing when you use that <laughs> but neutral milk hotel is a band that speaks about very literal things in a very abstract way and i know those are opposite mm. ends of the spectrum but that's just kind of how they are ajj is very similar so when i heard two-headed boy for the first time I needed to know more, but again, I thought it was just like one of their singles for a little bit. And then once I discovered that there was this entire history with it, uh, I became enthralled immediately. There's no reason to grieve. The world that you need is wrapped in gold. Silver sleeves left beneath Christmas trees in the snow. You are a musician. I feel like that's fair to say. That, that is fair. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, you would not be on this podcast if you weren't, but you are, so more power to you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so just in the real layman's term, what does Neutral Milk Hotel do to maybe set their sound apart from other bands? Because they are a band that really does not sound like anyone else. Are there any immediate identifying factors that you as a musician recognized when you first heard them? Well, like something is like definitely in the production. You mentioned them being lo-fi, and it's so weird because I was already listening before the, before I heard of Neutral Milk Hotel to other lo-fi artists like the early Mountain Goats tapes, um, bands like the Microphones and stuff that like to me are more distinctly lo-fi. Like recording on four-track recorders and these things, and they kind of were in the middle of this. Like, there's definitely moments of very high-fi fidelity, like with the singing saw. But then at the same time, then you get something like Hollow 1945. It just sounds like a preamp. It's just blown to shit on top of a fuzz pedal, you know? Um, and also, the music theory that they're doing is... I'll, I'll say the same thing to you, kind of how he sings about straightforward things in an abstract way. It's, like, simply complex, if that makes sense. It's like, it's like oh, yeah, he's playing three chords. But yeah. the way he's playing them is so specifically articulated that it makes these three chords so much more complex. Yeah, absolutely. I hate speaking in those opposites. Because I, I think it's kind of lazy, but that's really what this album is, and I don't think there's any avoiding that. Which is just it, it, this, it's it's so strange that we are here now, 21 years later, discussing an indie album that you know was popular in the scene, but wasn't critically acclaimed the way it is now when it first came out. And I think uh, to understand that, we need to go back a little bit and discuss their first record, which was On Avery Island, and the Elephant Six kind of recording group, which I think you can speak to a little bit. Uh, what's your knowledge of Elephant Six and the early Neutral Milk Hotel days? Yeah, yeah, and they're like, um, I'm most familiar besides Neutral Milk Hotel with Apples and Stereo. Um, and I remember, like, they, I guess they got just kind of all were on each other's records. Like, even, like, uh, uh, Apples and Stereo, Apple, yeah, the Apples and Stereo is their most popular song, Energy. Um, Jeff Mangum has a credit on that as ca using cow sounds. Fantastic. I can't even hear with, like, the nicest headphones and, like, nice monitors. Like, yeah. I can't even hear what kind of cow sounds that he's doing. Do you think he's making cow sounds, or do you think he's forcing a cow to make those sounds? I, well, he's vegan, so he's definitely not forcing a cow. Okay. And the world is made of energy, and the world 
I have this fixation with rock stars that don't necessarily belong in their scenes. So I think Jeff Mangum is an ob obvious example. I think Morrissey is an obvious example. I think David Berman of the Silver Jews, these people that, despite performing in front of thousands at a time, often seclude themselves and don't necessarily like doing interviews, don't like doing press. I'm very interested in that. And Mangum was one of those for you. Is there anything about this band that kind of you wanted to know more about as soon as you heard of them? Well, like, it, it's not an act. You know, you get some of these artists that, like, they, you know, they'll write more melancholic music and not to invalidate their emotions. Like, they might have these moments of melancholy, but then the other times they're just bouncing off the walls with excitement and joy and they're kind of like your typical pop star. Yeah. With, like, Mangum, it was like, oh, no, this dude is, like, living the life that he's singing about, however abstract that is, that there really is... To him, a two-headed boy that really is, you know, these kings of carrot flowers and stuff. You know, I think it was just so genuine, especially as a young developing, you know, person. And, you know, you're trying to find your space in the world and you're trying to, like, you know, find out who you are. Someone who's speaking to that and how and so genuinely speaking to that. It's, it's you know, bar none, one of the greatest emotions to experience. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's imminent from just the start of their recording career. You know, the first Neutral Milk Hotel song is called Songs Against Sex which is, again, something that I think alienates a good chunk of just the American listening base. I mean, it would make sense. I don't know a lot of people that would want to listen to that. But for me, it draws me in because it's something so different, even in an Athens scene or an indie scene or a punk scene that's littered with creative types and, and outliers and different people, to go even more against the grain I, is something that I'm immediately drawn to and that I want to know more of. And for Neutral Milk Hotel, that's how they are. Oh, yeah. No, Songs Against Sex is so great, too, because it does, like, kind of, it just kind of covers that, like, mundane, like, like, I don't know, there's a kind of atmosphere of, like, nothing's really going on in your life, and you're, you're kind of awkward, but it doesn't cover it in, like, the, like, typical, oh, I'm awkward and I hate my life. It's just very universal in how he speaks about it, where... You know, me listening to that at 16 is, like, very similar to how I listen to it now at 20. And even then, like, maybe even more, you know, even more relatable. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point is I wonder, I mean, there's no target age range for this album. I mean, you can't pinpoint and say when you are 23, you have to listen to this. But that is something that I hadn't thought about of perhaps my initial attachment to this was the fact that it's confusing and it's a little hard to understand. And he, he's singing about themes and concepts that maybe I'm aware of, you know, such as Anne Frank, but that I'm not, I, I can't fully wrap my head around. And I think there's a lot of that in this album. And now as I listen to it, you know, years on, you know, maybe five years since I first heard it, I take away different things from this record. I listen to it in a different way. And there's a literal kind of crippling sense almost that is hard to listen to at times, but it's what I'm looking for in this type of art. And I, I enjoy that. I, I really think Mangum and the entire band balances that act well of strange sort of, I don't know, interpretations, but harshly literal at times as well. Yeah. Well, it's really universal what they're singing about. And like, you know, and even something like me, like I'm not a religious guy, but uh, the second part to King of Carrot Flowers with like, I love you, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's like, oh, you still feel what he's getting at. You yeah. This kind of like ethereal, emotional, you know, spirit, you know, headspace, whatever. And it's like stuff like that mixed with the staunch, 
you know, dour lyrics of like two headed boy or we will get to all the songs later. But like, yeah. you know, it's just one of those things that it's like it gives you a full spectrum. It's not just sitting on one emotion. It's constantly moving yeah. in a very organic way, which is really hard to do for a lot of records. Because some records feel like, OK, here's our happy song. Here's our sad song. Here's our, you know, our party tune. And it's like it just feels like one cohesive trip. Yeah. So before we get to going track by track through each of these songs, I, I want to know a little bit more about what you listen to and whether or not neutral milk hotel and this album in particular fits into what you're listening to, or if it's kind of an outlier in your general listening habits. So what are some things you're into now all time, that sort of deal? How would you describe your music taste? I would say this, like this record's been in my top 10 since I first heard it. Honestly, okay. like it's, yeah. it's 100% one of those, one of the most influential records on me as a, as a human being, as well as a musician and songwriter. Um, I guess other stuff I listened to that is similar to it. I mentioned the microphones earlier. AJJ is another one that was a direct streamline from this because I heard the Two Headed Boy cover. And I was like, yeah. oh, who are these guys? This dude has a killer voice. And, yeah. you know, and they have a whole slew of good records underneath their belt. I do listen to a lot of, like, I guess if there's something, the most different thing I listen to is probably like hip hop and house music. But it's still a lot of the hip hop that I find myself gravitating towards and a lot of the house music. I would say it covers similar themes to in the airplane over the sea. You know, it's a lot of, you know, these self kind of uh, self analyzing trips and stuff like that. But yeah, I also listen to like, you know, ACDC. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering because you are a musician, the technology that has advanced since this album was recorded. So this was recorded in 97, 98 it's considered a lo-fi album for the time because it very clearly wasn't produced in a million-dollar studio with a major label backing, and it kind of just has this energy to it. But, you know, you can make a lo-fi record in your bedroom now that will sound cleaner and more compressed than this. And I'm just wondering, with your thoughts as someone that experiments with lo-fi music, what do you think about this process? Do you think the lo-fi sound or the vibe or the atmosphere has changed from you know when this dropped to what you're doing now and how the scene that you're in now differs from this yeah i think well obviously like they're using actual tape they're not using digital yeah and so they don't have to manipulate the sound really all that much to get lo-fi you know maybe they, like like i mentioned earlier you have to like overload a preamp or use a different type of tape in the cassette player mm -hmm. or a myriad of other things but it's far more organic which is to the albums to the album's credit like it's part of the reason why it sounds so good if that makes sense that it's like so organically lo-fi yeah and there's a lot of people who try to manipulate their like 200 dollars daws and stuff to sound lo-fi and i try not to do that personally um i feel like you you want to if you want to get a more crunchy sound there's better ways to do it than you know changing the eq and yeah like stuff digital like manipulation yeah 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 because yeah. i hate to go on like an analog rant and like <laughs> I'm you know with you I'm yeah <laughs> like yeah these these compressed mp3 files just don't sound the same but there's something authentic about this record in the themes and the production and the way it's laid out that i don't know if it's ever been matched but i'm not necessarily looking for an album to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with this in terms of authenticity mm -hmm. but i just think about the lo-fi element and how it's just a stark contrast to any of the lo-fi bands that at least I hear today, which I don't listen to a ton of lo-fi music, but what I do, they at least seem to, I, I like when bands embrace the fact that they're using digital formats a little bit more in that. I think Cyberbully Mom Club is a great example of a band who really dives into the, I'm making this record on my laptop 
and it's not going to sound like I'm, you know, recording this in a studio and then making it sound bad. I don't have any interest in that. But with this mm -hmm. record, do you get the same vibe that, no, like, this is who they were and this is an authentic recording and it's their vision and what they wanted? Oh, yeah. Like, you can even hear, like, in the distortion of the guitars um, at certain points, depending on, you know... Um, how hard Jeff is strumming it, that it's like, it's going with the emotion of the song. It's not just this unlistenable piece of fuzz. It's very much sometimes very clean and pristine that they're using good mics. They're using, you know, a reasonable studio equipment, but at the same time, it is very homegrown. It's definitely not just like, okay, we have these like million dollar studios yeah, and now we're going to dirty it up. It's that this is the sound that they had and this is the sound that they wanted. Yeah. And I, the beautiful thing is that it's it's present on on Avery Island, which was their first record. Mm -hmm. It's present on this, and then you know this is their last studio album. It's as crazy as it is. They have this one album that has left such a legacy on the music world, and I I think a lot of that contributes to the fact that this is it. And it's this like I say the same thing of like, and not to reference Morrissey again. I apologize to our listeners, but. <laughs> You know, if Morrissey dies in 1987 instead of the Smiths breaking up and him going solo, like, you'd be able to buy a Smith shirt in Target. It would be next to the Pink Floyd and the ACDC shirts. And mm -hmm. I think that's part of why this album still matters so much is that we never had the follow-up. We have no closure on what goes on after this. In a way, it's like the band died, even though they've reunited and toured since. It's all, you know, they don't have new material. It's mm -hmm. just this that we have. And... I think that's beautiful yet tragic because obviously as consumers, we want more and more and more, but we don't have it. Right, yeah, because they only released one song after this that was actually chronologically after. Yes. Which was that Little Birds tune, and it's funny because amongst a few of my friends, that's a point of contention because they feel the vocals that Jeff did were, like, overdone, which I'm like, nah, homie, but, like... <laughs> um, but but yeah, and, and it's one of those things, too, is that it is interesting to see, even just on how that one song that we got after this album, the lyrics do change a little bit. They're a bit more story-based. They're a little yeah. bit, they're, they're still abstract, but you can still kind of, he paints a, like a wider canvas. Little birds born without a mother or a father, I can feel the feathers forming in the This is a record that is sad and somber, but I don't look at it as torturous. And I don't think that this album was made in a place of hatred and hurt, but rather just longing. And it almost like just that's kind of how it is. Like it's almost like a natural sadness that I feel with this record, whereas what came next was hard to listen to in a way and that it, it, it his sadness and anger and confusion whatever jeff was going through really manifested itself and and took a next step which was uncomfortable and ultimately that is what led to the band not really releasing anything else right yeah, yeah. so let's let's go into it let's go track one this is king of carrot flowers part one on in the airplane over the sea when you were young you were the king of carrot flowers across the floor 
Cars Part 1. That's what opens the record. It is a good entry point in the sense that I think it is the most accessible song because as strange as it is, it's not out of control, but it's still like, what is the song? Why are there accordions here? It doesn't really fit with the mood of 1998, but what do you think about this opener? Oh, it's one of the it's one of the, the best song in my opinion. It's one of the best written songs of all time, and it does a great job of setting the stage for this album because I don't think this album is necessarily a concept record where it's like telling you these characters are going through this story, but there's definitely a cohesive narrative to it, and I feel that this one really just kind of puts you in the headspace of the kind of recurring characters that come on this record, and on top of it, it's just it's fucking great. Like the production, amazing. The just I don't know. It's one of those songs that, it, like, as simple as it is, is it just bewilders me every time I listen to it. it chills. Yeah, you know? no, for sure. And then it quickly transitions into that's King of Carrot Flowers Part One and uh, Part One, and then we get Part Two and Part Three coming up next, which we'll hear a little bit of right now. Jesus Christ, I love you. Yes, I do. And on the lazy days, the dogs are all the drain away. The world is just and always wait. King of Carrot Flowers Part 2 and 3, I think this is where, musically, the record shines. I think this is as strong as it gets, and there's beautiful parts later on, the singing saws, all the horns they use, the accordions and whatnot, but the simplicity of Part 2, which is just Jeff Mangum proclaiming his religion, and I love you, Jesus Christ, which, again, you mentioned earlier, you're not religious, but it still has some sort of an impact on you. I think any devotion that strong is a little bit moving, and then the transition into part three, the up and over we go part, is where musically I think this record shines. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, God. I remember the first time hearing this, this entire sequence, just because it's a seamless segue through three parts of a three, essentially three small songs. Yeah. And it's so impactful because it starts you off with the very heavy layers of King Care Flowers part one, the very staunch just banjo um, for those wondering, it's a it's a F it's a F power chord with the octave arpeggio. Good. I um, no, do not tweet me that question. It has been answered. If you tweet me that question, you are blocked. Those are the new rules. But um, a very just staunch and simple thing, and then this amazing buildup to that just complete fuzz freakout. Yeah. And then the lyrics once again. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll end up repeating myself a million times, but the lyrics are just some of the best anyone's ever done. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I mean, I think that's fair. I really, that's something that I just, you know, took away from this album again. You know, up and over we go, through the wave and undertow. I will float until I learn how to swim. And then, you know, the next line, inside my mother in a garbage bin. Like, there's so much stuff on this record that I wish I could fully comprehend, but I also think that's the magic of it is just not totally knowing what all of this stuff means. And I hate to be like that guy who's like, you just feel it in your soul, man. No, but, but like, you a, do. A lot of this is just yeah. like, oh, 
Yeah, like, I understand, like, on a, on a level of, like, okay, he could be physically inside a garbage bin inside his mother's, like, womb or something. Sure. Like, in, a, vis- a, picture. in, a, yeah. in a visual sense. Yeah. In a metaphorical sense. In a metaphorical sense. Maybe literally. We'll see. <laughs> we'll find out in Sung 4. Yeah, oh, um, hey. <laughs> um, but, uh, but at the same time, you just kind of understand this kind of, this relationship to that imagery. Yeah, I think that's fair. This is something that I've kind of had to come to grips with because I like a lot of literal art. I struggle with books or movies or TV that take place outside of the world that I know. I'm very much into grounded, almost simplistic artistic pictures because I just, it's not that I want to live in another simulation, but I just want a separate reality from what I'm in. And a lot of the music I like is very literal and makes these very valid points that I'm able to understand immediately. I don't love having this room for interpretation or these mysteries clouding over the entire album. Um, Like Griffin said just a second ago, you know, I don't love bands where he's got, oh, you got to feel it, man. Like, you just don't get it. Griffin, and I feel like I'm allowed to say this, is super into jam bands, and I'm (laughs) not. I, like, I don't enjoy them. I don't understand it. But I do understand this album of just, like, oh, man, like, you got to feel it. Like, it's just something there. In a strange way, and and God, don't strike me down when I say this. I beg of you. But do do you find any similarities between the hardcore neutral milk hotel fans that are still active and like fish fans or people that follow jam bands and have these religious kind of moments with the bands. Oh, I see like as a huge fish fan, I'm wearing a fish shirt. Let the record show. Great. Um, I think for the enthusiasm. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, I would a hundred percent say that they're kind of one in the same. I'm not saying there's a huge crossover. Um, I think there is though, relatively speaking, um, but I do see a lot of people because it's people like listening to different live versions, trying to find live shows that they haven't heard before. The same thing with fans of, you know, the Grateful Dead, Fish, you know, any type, any band like that, that you're trying to find something that you haven't heard yet. Even if it's the version of a song you've heard, like sure, certainly like there's a million versions out there of in the airplane over the sea from their live sets to, you know, the record, the studio version. But there's definitely like sometimes you hear them and he takes it takes it a bit of a slower tempo. Sometimes you yeah. hear it and it's almost it's almost become a rock tune because it's more up tempo and it's cool to hear those differences. Yeah, and, for sure. And part of the reason I mentioned that is that there is a great YouTube channel called Neutral Milk Hotel Archive. Great which, YouTube channel. You know, just has live shows readily available, some with video, some just audio. And Jeff Mangum uh, in 2001 released a live album of him singing it's most of the songs on the record but it's just him as a solo artist i think he he played it in a coffee shop at jittery joe's as a matter of fact it's live at jittery joe's uh jeff mang on the solo record and that's kind of what i'm getting to is there is i have an urge to check out their live work because songs on this album uh, part of the thing that amazes me is there's so much instrumentation and there's so much noise in this record. There are so many different sounds. And for the most part, in a live setting, they're able to replicate those, which I kind I find to be incredible. Oh, yeah. And, and this record, with all of its noise, does lend itself to very quiet moments, too. Yeah. Which is super hard because sometimes you'll just have a band that's a very loud, noisy band. And you'll have bands that are super soft. And somehow, through I don't know what... 
they find this perfect balance between the two. And it's not like, okay, guys, we need a soft song now or we need a hard song. It, now it's just like, it just feels like this is the only way the songs could have been. Yeah. That th- the way that they were produced and the way that they came out live and the way that they were composed is that was the only way these songs could have been. If not, they wouldn't have sounded as good. Yeah, and I, I don't think there's a better example of that than this upcoming song. This is the self-titled track. This is In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, off the aptly titled record by Neutral Milk Hotel. What a beautiful face I have found in this place That is circling all around the sun What a beautiful dream that could flash on the screen In a blink of an eye and be gone from me Soft and sweet, let me hold it close and keep it here with me. Griffin, I can't think of an intelligent question to ask you about the song because the song just kind of makes me stop. So very simply, your thoughts on the self-titled track. It has, I keep saying this like, oh, this is one of my favorite records. This is one of my favorite songs. This has possibly, I think, and this is a high compliment coming from me, like like, a possibly rivals like people like Dylan and Neil Young um, in the sense of its lyricism. And especially the last one, I can't believe how strange it is to be anything at all. Like what a blunt way of putting such an abstract concept of just our own existence, our own sentience. Yeah. And, oh. Yeah, you go. Yeah, well, no, no. I mean, it, it should be it should be mentioned that a lot of this album was inspired by Anne Frank's diary, which Mangum read in between the uh, the time of recording on Avery Island and in the airplane over the sea. And this song, and we kind of hit a run of it between this song and Holland 1945 and what's later to come. That as strange as it is, as strange as it is to be anything at all, Anne Frank becomes a uh, focus point for a rock album in the late 90s you know you could be listening to this or you could be listening to three dollar bill y'all by limp biscuit it's kind of choose your own destiny i was gonna say those are the only two options those, in 98 here's the, 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 the only two bands i have any interest in listening to to this day uh you'd be amazed at how well some of that limp biscuit stuff holds up and how well some or i guess how poorly some of it holds up as well but this is this is as good as it gets. I mean, this is the song that if people know this band, they've heard this song. I think if you attend an art school in America, you've heard this song in a dorm room at some point because you've probably gone to some weird party with weird lighting with kids that are really into Wes Anderson. And instead of just playing normal party music, this comes on at some point and someone then has to explain to you the meaning of this album. And by the way, that favorite movie you like, it's not that good. Here's a movie you should watch. And I'm going to tell you exactly why you should like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good way of putting it. Um, because it's weird because a lot of people do know this song, but they won't check out the rest of the record. And it's like not like they're like, oh, this song's kind of weird. Like they really love the tune. And then I'm just like, oh, like, well, how do you feel about the rest of the record? I know a couple of guys who like, who were like, yeah, I never really got into the record. Like I never listened to it. And I think they're missing out. They're doing themselves a disservice. Completely. But there is something about this that as a standalone track this song works in a strangely perfect way like i can almost understand that of i've heard this song and i've got my fill like this is all i need because (laughs) the rest of the record is not as perfectly produced there's not a ton of fuzz in this song yes there's singing saws and there's horns but it's not overbearing it comes across very tastefully 
and looking at song titles like King of Carrot Flowers or The Fool or Ghost or whatever, I can see someone going, no, no, I'm, I'm going to stick with this one. This popped up in an algorithm for me, and I like this, but I've had my fill. Yeah, no, and it's, it's a great thesis statement for, I feel like, the feeling that Neutral Milk Hotel gives me. Like, just personally, just, like, this is kind of, like, when I think of, you know, first hearing them and still listening to them now, it's that kind of very staunch, abstract, yet, like, vivid reality that they give you. you yeah, know? I mean, you said it earlier, it, it finishes off with how strange it is to be anything at all, which is something that kind of sticks in your mind, and I don't enjoy the existential what does life mean are we living in a simulation that sort of thing i'm not necessarily entertained by that sort of stuff but i do sit down and think sometimes of first of all how strange life is which i know sounds like like signing a yearbook with what a long strange trip it's been but there's just a certain gravity to this that is so hard to define and i think it's a gravity that can weigh you down at the worst times that Jeff Mangum was able to write about, and I do think that's really beautiful, and I think this is the kind of song that I just, I'm so confused sometimes, and, and I'm sure as a musician, you hopefully wonder the same things, of just like, who are the tastemakers, and why is what is out there as popular as it is, because a song like this, I can understand a 45-plus demographic in middle America, maybe not totally vibing with this per se, but this seems like a song that just has messages that a lot of people need to hear. And I'm afraid that not enough people hear stuff like this. I've definitely played this for a few of my friends and they've, their mood got significantly worse because they're like, oh, because they start, like, they start listening to the, to the lyrics and they're like, oh, like, like, oh, you know, they just kind of, they just kind of sit there and they kind of realize like, oh, life is strange. And, you know, especially depending on what you're going through in your own personal life, like, if you're in a great mood, maybe you hear this song and you're like, eh, you know, yeah, it's just yeah. it's a good song. Well, but. okay, so when what's your overall tone with this record? Because when I hear it, I think of a lot of happy memories, and more often than not, this record puts me in a good mood. Like, I understand that these songs are heavy and that there's a weight to them, but I maybe I'm blinded by ignorance, but I kind of think it's I, there are happier songs on this record, or at least songs that I like to sing along to, which by proxy makes me happy, but... Maybe you have a different take of just the weight of this record and the way it's affected you. It's song by song. Like, Hollow 1945 is, like, just a fun tune. That's just a great high-energy tune. Um, but songs like this, it depends on which mood you catch me in. Like, sometimes that last line and the last little bit about, you know, uh, that entire last stanza, just, like, they put me in a better mood. It's kind of like, oh, like, we're living in a weird world, but it'll be all okay, you know, because because Uncle Jeff says it'll be okay. And, and there's definitely times when, like... Like personally for me, that it's like I might be in a more sad, like sad mood, and it, you know it comes as this kind of soft comfort to me. That's like, hey, it'll, it'll be all right, but you know life is strange. You know it's 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 all about headspace. And then there's some songs like we that we'll get to later that like I wouldn't listen to if I'm in a <laughs> if I'm in a good mood because it'd probably ruin it pretty quickly in a good way.
two-headed boy puts on Sunday shoes and dances around the room to accordion keys with a needle that sings in your heart. I don't know anybody that writes songs like this. And this is Two-Headed Boy. This is the fourth track on In the Airplane Over the Sea. And this was my introduction. And I'm blown away by this song at times. I don't think it's the flashiest because it's just Jeff and an acoustic guitar. There's no fuzz. There's no horns. There's no nothing. But this song maybe more than any of them. And I don't think it's just my first impression. I think it's the way that the rest of this record is produced this song hits me a little harder than the others. Yeah, this is this this is definitely one of those tunes that lyrically is great. And it's funny because the first like probably about five or six times I listened to this, I always just assumed there was other instruments that came in because emotionally that's where it takes you. It feels like there was some giant, you know, instrumental climax somewhere in there. And then you listen back to it a little bit more just intently and you're like really listening to the instrumentation and I'm just like, oh no, it's just one guy. Yeah. One guy, one guitar, one take. Well, and I think a lot of that, and it is one take, which I'm glad you mentioned that, um, this song maybe feels a little bit more tragic than the rest of the record, whereas I think a lot of the record is somber, but there's not this dark cloud kind of imminent doom taking over, where this song, and I think a lot of it is, not only is there only one instrument, but in the mix itself, Mangum's vocals are very clear and very high in the mix and it almost feels like a cry for help more than anything and it just sticks with me I, I don't know i don't know how to describe it because it's not my favorite song on the record i don't think it's the best song on the record but it just has a personal impact that is hard to describe yeah if it feels kind of like a last goodbye almost like... and it's the fourth song on the album which yeah. is super weird <laughs> It's on side A, like yeah. I mean, that's I think, and there's you know, of course, the record ends with Two Headed Boy Part Two, but this song, it just has an uncomfortable weight to it, which and maybe a lot of these people that hear in the airplane over the sea, the self-titled track, just perhaps they go, what's the next song on this record, and they get that, and I would understand why at that point you would ease off and you would say, you know what, I'm gonna take the hit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I want, I want the one that everybody knows. Give me the horns. Give me this. Give me that. Uh, two-headed boy, not for me. I could definitely understand that. Uh, it, it's rough because I'm already like in the world of this album. Um, but yeah, and the lyrics on the lyrics on this one are once again they, they balance that vivid world and that abstract world so well. Is that first verse is just kind of it's a lot of abstract imagery. But you see everything so clear. Yeah. And it's it's like they're all in the room with you. Yeah. And well, and a lot of this, a lot of these lyrics, I should say, in this song allude to Anne Frank hiding from Nazis and that there is a just a sense of dread. And I think that goes back to what I said earlier, which they just they nailed the production on this of bad things are happening and it's maybe hard to describe. It's hard to shout. But Jeff Bingham is there and he's able to be that voice. And there's a real gravity to this, and it's just another song in the string of Anne Frank-inspired songs, which I n- never thought that would be a normal sentence <laughs> of, yeah, those Anne Frank-inspired songs, but here we are, and yet they're somehow beautiful, and 21 years after the fact, they still matter. I yeah. think it's great. I think oh, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Wonderful. So next is the instrumental track, The Fool. We'll hear a little bit of this.
And from there we go straight into Holland 1945, which sounds a little something like this. Two, one, two, three, four. your favorite song on the record i can't pick between like my favorite kids no no <laughs> pick a favorite song on the record is this one it if it's something later on the record tell me that it's something later on the record but oh, i want to know if this is your favorite song on the record i it could be it very yeah well no could it be. could be i'm wondering if it is <laughs> um i'll say no that's something later on the record something later okay you, okay but let's talk about hollow 1945 <laughs> and is this is your favorite song on the record Yes. Yeah. I I really love King of Carrot Flowers 2 and 3. I think the up and over we go is just so energetic and fun, and it's so different. And I, I love the start with the I Love You, Jesus Christ, just because you don't hear that in music elsewhere. But this has always been my go-to. I mean, I just, I'm floored by this song and the lyrics in it, you know, now she's a little boy in Spain playing, playing pianos filled with flames. I don't know what that means, and I also don't necessarily care to. Mm-hmm. Um, I like. I feel like I don't know what it means because the only person who knows what it means is like the songwriter, right? Yes. But that imagery is so powerful. Yeah. You just you 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 hear that, and you can immediately kind of see the scene that's been set, and as and as weird and. As unconventional of a scene that that is, the rest of the song that ensues fits it perfectly. And then the fuzz tones, which are a dramatic, which are a dramatic shift from the previous sonic space that we've been in, like the, uh, you know, the fool and two-headed boy, and they just they feel chaotic. This is the part that to me always reminds me the most of, um, of like the the Anne Frank inspiration. Just this chaos, this uh, this huge wave of that just doesn't give give up. It just it becomes more and more powerful and overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's built off of the instrumental, The Fool, which comes right before it, which we talked about uh, between the King of Carrot Flower songs, that buildup and then that final explosion. Well, we get a little bit more of a drawn-out version there. We get this two-minute instrumental that feels like an imperial march. I mean, it's doom. It's, it's kind of evil in a way. It's tough. And then it goes straight into this, which is obviously Anne Frank-inspired. And it's strange to think that to a subset of people, myself included, that this is like this great pop song, but it it is and i i just love that of the peculiar songwriters and the way they are able to make these topics jaunty and enjoyable at times sweet communist the communist daughter standing on the seaweed water semen stains the mountaintop semen stains the mountaintops with cocoa leaves along the border sweetness swings from every corner 
The bridges burst and twist around And wanting something warm and moving bends towards herself The soothing proves that she must still exist She moves herself about her face It's communist, the communist daughter Standing on the seaweed water scene and stains the mountain Communist daughter, do you remember the first time you heard this? This was the second Ninja Milk Hotel song I heard. Okay. After this, I bought the record. I hadn't even heard the rest of the album. This is what I, sold you on it. I actually, super crazy story. I want to get back to the song, but I actually bought it at the Reckless down the street. Okay. I, I was here checking out the school when I was like a junior in high school. Okay, so for reference, Columbia College, Chicago. That's true. Yeah, and down the street, there is a Reckless record store, great store. And that's where you bought this record for the first time? I bought right, this record. For, yeah, for the only time. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I heard the title track from my friend Jake. And then I had heard this like a week later or something. And I was like, and I was coming down here. And I always try to buy a record wherever I'm, you know, yeah. visiting. Just because yeah. different places have, have no, different No, completely. Things. I think that's the beauty of record stores is I literally, it's like Pawn Stars. I never know what's going to come through the door. <laughs> But I'm always coming through the door, and I never know what's going to be in those crates, man. Oh, the crate digging, digging for baby. wax. Oh, oh, is there a better baby. feeling? Oh, uh, I love it. So you bought this at a record store. Yeah, <laughs> I, I bought this. Other, I bought this at uh, the Reckless, and I remember my dad was like looking at it. He's like, "What are you like? What weird art thing are you buying?" Yeah. And I'm like, "I've never heard the rest of this record, but I know two songs on here are amazing." Yeah. And Communist Daughter is not my favorite song off this record, but it is great. And yes. I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's, it has some lyrics that a lot of people who are immature don't don't like. They kind of joke about it on the internet, but which yeah. is a shame. So speaking of, um, so I have a tough relationship with the song okay. because it's beautiful, and I I love the opening bass line in it. I I find the way the song kind of trudges along to be very interesting, but there is no better embodiment of this album being an art school album. Uh, for the fact that my freshman year of college, I had a kid that lived down the hall from me, very into Neutral Milk Hotel, very into a lot of different records that could be discussed on this podcast. The first day of college when we moved in, he saw that I had a record player and invited himself over and then put on an Aphex Twins record just like because, just because he saw a record player. Nice kid. Love him to death. But he would do stuff like that. He has a Daniel Johnson obsession. He once came over to my dorm to watch a Daniel Johnson documentary. And it wasn't like, hey, this is something I know you guys have been asking me about. Like, I thought I'd come over and put this on for you guys to see it. He's like, no, you guys have a TV. I'm watching this <laughs> two-hour documentary in your room. And the other thing he would do, and God bless him, he would constantly sing Communist Daughter in my dorm room. So at all times of the day and night, I would just hear this kid who does not live with me, mind you, but lives near me, but would be in my room just going, semen stains the mountaintops, semen stains the mountaintops. And it's just been tough for me to get over that. I 100% empathize with you. It's just, of, of all songs... Because it's not an immaturity thing. I don't mind that he's singing that line in the song. I matter that he's singing this song and is constantly telling me about how much he loves the song Communist Daughter. And it's just rubbed me the wrong way. Now, I love this song. I think the instrumentation at the, the, instrumentation at the end is gorgeous. But 
where this is almost like a PTSD thing with me. You talked about earlier of like, there are some songs like, man, if I'm in a good mood, I don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. There are some songs that I think for, for everyone that they hear and it just takes them back to a specific time and a specific place. And some of those times it's going on first dates. It's young love. It's beautiful. Some of those times it's tragedy. For this song, for me, it's my freshman year and <laughs> living with this kid who didn't technically live with me, who was obsessed with communist daughter. And it's just tough. From the opening, King of Carrot Flowers, in the airplane over the sea, shifts from acoustic folkiness to loud, fast punk rock with little to no warning. It features a noisy horn section and a dreamy singing saw all rolled into a package that does a credible job of blending Sgt. Pepper with early 90s lo-fi. Neutral Milk Hotel frontman Jeff Magnum writes songs that read like bad dreams. He inherits a world of cannibalism, elastic sexuality, and freaks of nature. We can only assume he likes it there. 8.7 out of 10, Pitchfork. clocks in at eight minutes and 18 seconds and that is what i want to know from you so griffin we have differing opinions on song lengths and what an acceptable song length is and by proxy an acceptable album length how do you feel about this song going eight minutes because for you this is a short song i was gonna say if i was the king of the world and what I would and I ruled the pop charts. This would be like this would be like my Sharia Moore or something. This would be something that's it's on all the stations. Everyone knows it. You know, you know, do you know my Sharia Moore? I don't. Stevie Wonder. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Great. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> I'm sure he's fine. But any, anyway, basically, it'd be like one of those like universal songs that it's like, oh, like, like, or you know, you could put in any number of classic pop tunes. I think the song's length is wonderful. I think it. It's purposeful. You know, there's a lot of songs that you listen to. There's noodling. There's some pretension. And I feel this one is void of all of that. I think it's all very purposeful. Okay. Yeah. So we're on the same page here then because I have created a comprehensive list of songs longer than five minutes that deserve to be longer than five minutes. There's no wasted space. There's no BS. It is an appropriate maybe not i mean i obviously wish the songs were shorter but i can't win them all but like this song is eight eight minutes and i don't feel like it's trying to be an eight minute song i feel like it naturally happened that way so this would be one of the songs longer than five minutes that i think i'm okay with number two smells like teen spirit clocks in at 502 (laughs) you could cut off three seconds but sure we'll leave it all right i kurt we're cool man 502 you go with me because you don't waste a second in that song number three Oasis Slide Away, 622, the best Oasis song there is. Another one of those where it's like, okay, sure, I'll let this be six minutes. That's fine. 
You let it slide in. I let it slide. I let it slide away. I say, "Hey, trouble be gone. <laughs> trouble be gone. We're gonna slide away." <laughs> Number four, Morrissey, "Life Is a Pigsty," seven twenty-three. Beautiful song has made me cry at times. One of the few songs that has brought me to tears. It has every right to be seven minutes, which was shorter, but it's not. And finally, do you have any guess as to, and this is the comprehensive list. These are the only songs that I think are worth being five minutes or longer. Do you have any guess? And I, I do. I, okay, go ahead. Oh, no, no you finish. No, 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 no. Yeah. What, what was this last song going to be? Well, I don't know if this is cheating, but you told me when we were talking about Lonesome Cry to West one time. That Trucker's Atlas was one of the few songs oh. that, that was allowed to be 10 minutes. Now I feel like a fool. That's a, You know what? That's an honorable mention because that song is 10 minutes, which is absurd. As, as a fan of jam bands, that groove goes on way too long. It's a little bit too static. Yeah. You cut a minute off. Okay. Well, then there we go. Doesn't belong on the list. Good song. Doesn't belong on the list. Yeah. I, God bless Isaac Brack. Of course. <laughs> Hope he's Zombie by the Cranberries. Five minutes, six seconds. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> dare, dare I say a perfect song. Oh, yeah. Uh, you No, I didn't believe that. Oh, yeah. You laughed at me when I said zombies, and then you come back on. I'm like, oh, yeah. No, that's a good one. No, I know, I know the, it's a good the, one. The six seconds is what kills me. That you're like, that, It's like a very staunch five minutes. Because a lot of the songs I listen to, you, you, as you've mentioned, five minutes is like nothing. Five minutes is... <laughs> you've told me you have records where one side of the record is an entire song. I have multiple records like that, yeah. Why? I like... It's getting your money's worth, right? No, I did. No, These I don't songs, want songs that. Longer? No, I I would rather have short songs, but a lot of good ones. I don't have. Well, if you just get one great song as opposed to a lot of good songs. If it's a twelve-inch single, that's fine. <laughs> But it's not. You're wasting your money on these. These. I mean, at some <laughs> point, once you hear the same riff seven times in a live setting, doesn't it lose a little bit of its luster? Well, but what if I told you it's not the same riff? It's like it's like moving towards something. There's a purpose to it. And but can't that purpose be gotten to quicker than in uh, twenty? What's what's a good long like jam band? If we're talking jam bands and, and you've got one that you need to pick for me, which, by the way, this is an offshoot of art school albums. This is jam bands are bad, uh, a three-part narrative podcast. <laughs> but but what's your go-to case? This is a long song that you just need to feel all of. 22 minutes, I believe. Maybe it's 1907. It depends on which it depends on which version of the CD you're listening to, um, whatever. Uh, the Whipping Post, uh, Almond Brothers Band, Live at Fillmore East. Because the reason why I suggest that one is because the solo sections of each individual artist are short. The thing is that there's like seven guys in the band. So there's just more solos to be taken. But at the same time, what's going on with the harmonies and the chords and the progression of the tune just naturally kind of like they, they, they keep moving forward. They're not staying static, like you said. Because that's a big problem that I have with a lot of jam bands. that They just kind of sum the same three chords for 20 minutes. It's like, no, that's not the point. You're supposed to move into a new section of the song you move into a new space that maybe you've never even played before i bet that same story could have been told in four minutes ghost ghost i know you live within me feel as you fly in thunder clouds above the city into one that i love with all that was left within me until Ghost is track nine. This song is uh, 
fun, right? Yeah, this is one of the ones that puts me into a great mood and the song that it segues into. Yeah, the untitled. Let's hear a little bit of that since you mentioned that. So untitled almost gets like electronic for a second. Oh, it's yeah. hard it's hard to explain, but th- these songs put you in a good mood, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. This is actually I also showed my dad because this is like in the heat of my first initial neutral milk hotel obsession. Okay. And yeah. paint a picture of what that first obsession is like. Where where are you in life at this point? Um, I would say probably once again sophomore year of high school. Okay. Uh springtime, I would say, is yeah. when I fully and what's engrossed. what's going on here? Are there any contributing factors that are leading you into this? Hmm. Well, you're a sophomore in high school, so there's that. That's tough. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Yeah. Um, but just kind of in general, you know, confusion with life, trying to figure out who you are. And there's a lot of, you know, there's just a lot of just general, you know, what college am I going to? A lot of uncertainty. Yeah. And this record kind of provides an answer in a very unique way. Yeah, in an abstract World War II synopsis kind of way, this really helped you decide where you were going to go to college. <laughs> summed up my sophomore year of high school. Good, good, good. <laughs> no, that's, I'm sure that was a good time for everybody involved. Um, well, I actually showed my dad ghost into Untitled yeah. because he was asking me. I kept mentioning Neutral Milk Hotel like at like family dinners and stuff. Because I bet everybody loved that. Oh, my, I'm sure my mom wasn't concerned at all. Like, yeah. my, my high school counselor mom wasn't like, my kid needs help. Yeah. Like, but I showed him this, and he was like, and he's he showed me. I grew up on like 60s psychedelic rock, mm. so this is obviously is a direct offshoot of that. And he was basically like, it's weird. But I like it. And basically for my dad to compliment that, that's basically like him saying it's a 10 out of 10. Yeah. No, that's that's good. I don't I don't think my Jay-Z loving father is ever going to come around to this record. But if he does, I'll embrace him with open arms. I'm not going to gatekeep this record from my dad and be like, oh, I liked it before you. <laughs> I don't see that happening. But maybe, who knows, maybe if this last song, the last song on the record, Two-Headed Boy Part 2, really speaks to me, maybe I'll start gatekeeping this from people, and I will remove this podcast from the RSS feed, I will take this down, because instead of wanting people to discover it and feel it, I'll go, no, I like this before all of you. Griffin, we've made it 11 songs. You said Hollow 1945 wasn't your favorite. It wasn't the self-titled track because I asked you the question after I asked you what your favorite song was. Is this it? It is. It is. Okay, why is this your favorite song on the record? It's a great moment of finality, which I find a lot of records have a hard time finding. Like, like even if it's not necessarily coming to a conclusion of, you know, like, take, like, To Pimp a Butterfly. Like, there's this last song, it'll the main last song is I, I believe. And that's like Kendrick Lamar coming to find self-love. And this to me is kind of like Jeff and all the various characters that are in the record finally coming to grips with, with uh, all the events that have just transpired, which obviously can apply to real life as well as just the story and enjoyment of this record. 
plus the instrumentation, lyrics, production, everything fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) That's really all you can say about it. It's another one of those painfully simple songs that just happens to take place on a record where there's chaos and commotion going on for most of them. But then you have these moments like this where everything slows down and you're able to hear and you're able to feel in ways that you weren't able to for most of the songs on this record. And, you know, last time we were, we were on this podcast, or at least I was not you, but we talked about Weezer's Pinkerton and how I was so dissatisfied with the last song on the record um, because I didn't feel like it was an appropriate end. And I wanted more out of that last song. And you hit the nail on the head here and saying that this felt like, closure in a sense that this felt like an appropriate end to this album and that it really wrapped things up nicely and even though it's not one of my favorite songs on the records like this is a song that i have very little emotional attachment to i like it i like when it's on but if i'm putting on just a few songs from this record i'm going holland i'm going the carrot flowers aeroplane um and then maybe you know a communist daughter or the fool even though it's an instrumental i do really enjoy the fool um This is not one of the ones that's going to come up, but it's satisfying. And I think that is just one of those things that just elevates this record even into another echelon of greatness. Because it's like when you have these TV shows that maybe start out great, uh, the first few seasons are good, and then it ends on a really sour note. It's such a bummer. It leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth. Whereas there are shows that take a while to find their footing, but they end on such a high note that they are highly regarded as you know some of the best shows of all time. And this album is just one of those that happens to have no weak points, that everything on the album is really, really good. But because it ends on such a strong note, I think it's undeniably great because of it. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I could reiterate what you just said but you just said it perfectly. yeah so you don't need to cool yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah for <laughs> so this album really has quite the legacy and again it was you know it was released on merge records in 1998 it was an indie record that in the scene was big but you know what is an indie scene ever but especially in 1998 but it just so happens that it's had this legacy that has lived on. And a lot of that is thanks to our heavenly father above the gods at pitchfork.com who, you know, initially gave this record an 8.7 when it was released. And then in 2005, when the album was reissued on CD, uh, Mark Richardson gave it a 10 out of 10. And since then, it's just an album that has picked up more steam and has strangely been one of the few albums. It feels like that, has sold more copies after the band has broken up than when the band was actually together. And I don't know how, how many bands you can really say that for, unless you're talking, you know, Beatles or whatever nonsense. But for this type of music, it's one of those where, yes, you have those people that can say, like, I was there, I saw them at 40 Watt Club, or I saw them in Chicago at Lounge Axe, like, whatever it was. But most of the people listening to this album are people that have just been swept up in this wave. And I find that very interesting. And I don't know if you could think of any bands off the top of your head where it's the same deal of... Their prime was seen by such few, but there's still kind of this open arms embrace mentality towards discovering this band. Do you find that to be the same way? Or like we joked about earlier, do you think there's a lot of gatekeeping in regards to this record? Um, I don't think there's a lot of gatekeeping because typically most of the time when I run into someone who's, you know, wearing a neutral milk hotel shirt or like, you know, you, you start talking about music and they mention this song, it's typically like a open arms, like, oh dude, I, it's a great record. You know, it's kind of like something you and I first bonded over when we first met. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's funny is I think this record 
it was one of the highest selling records for years after it was released, but like way after the band broke up. Yeah. Which is crazy, just because it's like out of all the records, you know, you mentioned like the Beatles, Queen, they always will come back, you know, biopics made or something as an anniversary release and you know, they get a huge wave of sales and like, oh, the Beatles were one of the highest selling vinyl records yeah, this year. Great. Cool. Which a is bunch, a bunch of people who are boring and yeah. awesome. I was gonna say, like, as a fan of the Beatles and Queen, I'm like, yeah, duh, they're gonna sell a lot yeah. of records. I, I don't know. Maybe you listen to something interesting for a change. I, that's I'm just here, my aren't idea. I? Yeah, exactly. No, you you are not a part of the problem. You are a part of the solution. So I appreciate it. Mark Richardson, who wrote the 10 out of 10 Pitchfork review, um, came back last year in 2018 and wrote this beautiful piece that's up on Pitchfork just about how this album's legacy has lived on. And he says something at the very end that I find interesting, where he says, and I quote, it's only about you and your relationship to this album during the time that you listen to it the most. And while I know people who have had In the Airplane Over the Sea impact their lives, I don't know many who have listened to it consistently since the day it came out. It's the kind of record you put away for a while, but if you're lucky, it is still there when you need it. End quote. And I think, first of all, I think that is such a beautiful writing, and I think that is so just the perfect way to encapsulate why this album exists do you find that as well i don't is this something you're putting on in your like daily shuffle or is this something that you know you put away for a while yeah, every once in a while you're like oh man i just really want to listen to okamli or something but for the most part it was like i listened to it for a really intense period i started getting to other artists similar artists you know people like uh People, you know, I mentioned like uh, people like uh, the microphones and stuff like that. Yeah, I got um, super into the band Elf Power, who were another Elephant Six kind of Athens band from being obsessed with this album. Exactly. And it was stuff like that. And just even lately, in probably the past year, I've started putting it on a lot more again. And I also got back into like uh, Nutramokotel's other albums after Aeroplane. As I didn't stop listening to Aeroplane, it was like, well, let me see what their first record sounds like. Yeah. Let me see what this show sounds like and i have like my, like like the bottom um bottom of the hill show yes like i think i put that on probably just as much as aeroplane when i found that show yeah that's a strange reference if you don't know but griffin and i both have this obsession with um i think it was october 1998 because yeah. right around the time this record came out uh neutral moco hotel played a show in san francisco at the bottom of the hill which is this great venue um to come full circle the band ajj that we referenced earlier they have a great live album from the bottom of the hill but neutral milk hotel has this show there recorded with video very good audio for a 1998 bootleg and it's one of the greatest live sets i've ever seen and right. i am someone that prefers to listen to a lot of live music and i'm less interested in bands that sound perfect in the studio but can't sound great live like i'd rather have a great live show on an okay album than a great album and an okay live show mm -hmm. neutral milk hotel just happen to be great at both and nothing is more prevalent in that than the bottom of the hill show which like you just mentioned is phenomenal oh yeah and also so what's your relationship like real quick with on avery island which is their first record i love it, it was, it's 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 weird. I don't think it's as universal as Aeroplane. No, I, I, I would say there's probably a good chunk of people who, the type of people, and not mocking by any means, because I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but the people that have Aeroplane pop up in an algorithm or on a playlist that someone sends them, they might not know that they put out an album before this, because On Avery Island, for as good as it is, has no luster, no lore. It's just, it's like it's another band that released it almost. It, and honestly, like it's a great record. Like I, I own it. I, I love, I love it. I listen to it relatively frequently. It has a couple of my favorite Neutral Milk Hotel songs on there. Um, but on the flip side, it's it's hard to compare the two because even sonically they're so different. Like there's barely any acoustic guitars on On Every Island, and 
um, aeroplanes largely acoustic. Yeah. And, you know, even the personnel and stuff that's on there, that's Jeff playing most of the instruments on Avery Island. And they have, like, great people like Julian Costner and you know, Jeremy Barnes, an immensely underrated drummer, um, who are on aeroplane. And, and so there's just a different sonic palette altogether. Yeah, for sure. So we've got to do it. We've got to give a rating to this album out of 10. What's your rating on In the Airplane over the Sea? I think I'm going to spoil it at the beginning, but like 10 out of 10. Yeah. Hard 10, hard 10 out of 10. So last week I gave Pinkerton a 9.5 because I was so disappointed in the last song. There's no disappointment on this album. For me, it's a 10 out of 10. I think it's one of the 10 greatest records I've ever heard. It's going to be hard for that to be knocked out of my top 10. This is as good as it gets. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's almost not Like, I wish we could debate this a little bit and, and scrutinize those numbers. But no, it's just one of the greatest albums we've ever heard. And that's as simple as it is. Yeah, it's like I mentioned at the top of this podcast of like, I, it got put in my top 10 and still hasn't left. And with good reason. Like, yeah. there's, there's certain records that I've listened to. And I've like, I was like, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe they're more 9 out of 10s. If I'm really going to start rating things out of, you know, in a numerical setting. But honestly, like, this is just one of those ones. Every time I listen to it, I'm like, was it as good as I remember it? I'm like, oh, no, it was even better. Yeah, there's, <laughs> that's exactly it. There's no wasted space on this record. There's songs that are maybe better than others, but no songs that I feel dip below the bar of greatness. It's incredible. So, Griffin, is this an art school album? Oh, yeah. Like, you don't have to be in art school to listen to it? No. Let me make it clear. Those are not the rules. Oh, okay. No, no, the, no, no. No, you, you are right. I just... If you're in art school, this feels like essential listening, does it not? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> so finally, who needs to hear this album right now? Describe somebody in maybe a literal sense, maybe a medical for, metaphorical sense, rather, who needs to hear in the airplane over the sea? What type of person needs to hear this right now? Oh, man. Um, People who maybe have a lot of uncertainty in your life. I know that's where it kind of found me and that it kind of helped ground me a little bit. Just kind of like, hey, like it's reassuring. It's pensive at times. It's, you know, it's euphoric. It's anxious. But at the end of the day, if you have a lot of uncertainty in your life and you're looking for a little bit of direction, maybe this is the record for you. Absolutely. So Griffin, what do you have to plug? Oh, um, I'm in a band called Yin Waster. Um, we're, we have some new music cooking up. We have new music out, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, YouTube. Um, go check us out. We do, we do lo-fi music. We do a whole slew of things. It's not just Neutral Milk Hotel copies. But would you <laughs> categorize Neutral Milk Hotel as an influence? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I want to lie to people. No, I, no I, <laughs> not, I would be more inclined to listen to your band now that I know they're an influence. Yeah, I would definitely say, uh, definitely say they're an influence um, among other bands and stuff and among other music genres, but... Yeah, it's a lot of we call it gas station folk. So Great. it's 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 very much in the folk rock lo-fi world. Awesome. Well, Griffin, thank you for appearing on Art School Albums. I hope people check out your music. I hope people are inspired to listen to Neutral Milk Hotel if they haven't heard of them before. Thank you. Until next time, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Art School Albums. You can like, subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And until next time. Thank you for listening to Art School Albums.